Hello, beautiful people. I hope you're doing well whenever and wherever you're listening to this podcast. Just wanted to give you a bit of a heads up that in this episode, we are joined by a very special guest on Zoom. And because they're joining us on Zoom, there are the inevitable audio challenges. So with that, I just hope you can persevere through those challenges because this guest is sharing with us some powerful gems. I really hope you enjoy it. It's a little bit longer than usual, but well worth it. And without further delay, here's the episode. Brother, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I am good. I'm good. It's been an interesting week where, well, I say that every week, don't I? Wait, wait till the week that I say it's just been a boring week and I've done nothing. This week, I've been focused a lot more on my health. One thing that I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago was that I got married recently. Uh, but what I didn't mention is the week before I got married, I was an inpatient in hospital. Um, I was curled up in a ball in my bathroom, vomiting into my toilet for about three hours, maybe four before I decided that it would be a good time to call the hospital. Um, and I spent about four days in the hospital and that was the first time in my life that I was an inpatient in a hospital. So first time in 30 years. And although I'm very aware of what might potentially have caused that issue, I still want to make sure that I'm taking proactive steps to look after my health and that is diet and exercise for me effectively. Um, I'm, I tend to be quite a health conscious person. Most people who find out I was in hospital got quite surprised um, because it just doesn't sound like me. But um, I think there's always more that we can do. And especially now that I'm in uh, my fourth decade, is it my fourth decade? Yeah, my fourth decade on this planet. Um, I think the things that I was doing previously might not necessarily work in this decade so I'm being a lot more conscious and just trying to take my health into my own hands one thing I've learned is that everybody has a secret formula or a secret solution to how we can you know be healthy and how we can thrive health-wise but I think this is a great example of how knowledge is power understanding how your body works understanding um, your limitations physically just also understanding health and nutrition in general gives you the tools that you need to actually look after yourself. So that's, that's where my, my mind has been focused and doing a bit of personal experimentation this week, seeing how it goes. It's, it's a fascinating area because I was recently watching a, a documentary which highlighted that dietitians are accountable by law, but nutritionists aren't. And thus I can become a nutritionist online through a 90-day course. So what you're finding is that um, the online space, particularly YouTube and social media, is full of nutritionists who are advising people on how they should eat, in essence, who have eating disorders themselves. Now, mm-hmm. when I say eating disorders, I don't mean that they are bulimic or anorexic, but there is a distorted view on how food should be consumed. Mm. You should only eat potatoes. Potatoes is all you can eat. Or carbs are, carbs are from the devil. Yes. Or protein is acid. They come up with these really outlandish statements, which 
have ounces of truth if you excessively consume that one thing, but there's just no balance. So I think it, it, it does highlight we're in a world now where everyone can be an expert. Absolutely. And, and the real experts are being questioned. Yes. So, so the doctors don't know what they're talking about. That is it. If, and that's one thing that always concerns me and maybe should be a red flag for people. If you're dealing with somebody who constantly is just um, disrespecting or disregarding doctors' input, people that have studied eight or nine years to get to this point, then I think for me, that's a red flag. Unfortunately, because I've got two very good friends who I watched their entire journey from college students to becoming medical doctors, I've got a lot of trust for their advice because I know how hard they've studied. They didn't do an online course. They, they did years and years of studying in that space. Not to say they're experts, not to say that they know exactly what they're talking about in everything, but just there, there are some principles and some concepts that if they're not being uh, abided by, they're not being followed, then you should be worried. And one example is making sure that you are hitting your macronutrient targets and your micronutrient targets every day. I went down a rabbit hole a couple of months ago of looking at nutritionists online and I came across some very scary people, some people who are promoting, um, one lady in particular was promoting a raw food diet. So you cannot eat food that is cooked. Food that is cooked is poison. Madness. Um, one woman who was promoting a banana-only diet. So all you could eat was bananas because apparently bananas had everything that you needed. Yeah. Um, and similar to you, there was one lady that was admittedly previously orthorexic, which is a different, um, quite, quite a, a modern uh, disorder, which basically is where you actually have fear of certain foods it's, it's kind of when people talk about eating clean, it takes it to another level, which is like sugar is the devil. Um, carbs, as you say, are the devil. These people now have a term called orthorexic, where they're very, very strict about what goes in their mouth, which is just as dangerous as any other eating disorder, in my view. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my current journey. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to delving into it. And I've said this about a few things in the past that which is, you know, if, you're, if it involves your life, if it's something which has a massive impact in, on your life, you should, to the best of your ability, become an expert. There is no excuse for leaving something as important as your own health solely in the hands of somebody else. It fascinates me because we now live in a world where credibility is constantly being challenged. And there are positives to that in that we are trying to quality assure everything which is being heard. However, those who have actually attempted to master a field, i.e. the doctors, et cetera, et cetera, understand that mastery is a paradoxical state where, where you meet mastery, you have a firm understanding of all the things you don't know. The more you know, the more you don't I mean, know. It's, it's brilliant, but they are being ignored. And those who've done the 90-day courses and have eating disorders are the ones who are shouting the loudest about what should and shouldn't be done. It's, it's not just in nutrition. I'm, I'm finding it in all areas. Um, I, I find, I was a huge Game of Thrones fan. And after Game of Thrones ended, there was a huge void 
because the only thing I really watch is Arsenal lose. I don't want to watch anything at all. <laughs> um, but what I watch with like utmost joy is the presidential election and the backlash from that and how credibility statistics don't matter anymore. Numbers, numbers lie. Numbers can lie. And it's just fascinating that we now live in a world where what was fact is now opinion. And that's somewhat scary. But, but once again, I, I, you know, I talk about superpowers quite a bit, or I have done quite recently. And I would say having an objective understanding to the best of your ability of reality is now becoming a superpower. Um, not what you've heard, not what your friend of a friend says, but what is actual fact. Now, one thing I've realized is, although it's a useful tool for you, it's not something that you should just be sharing with everyone. Because one thing you realize is that by you attempting to have an objective view of things, you will create enemies. You'll create people who have their religions and therefore do not want to hear any descending voices. Um, one, one friend of mine asked me a very amazing question uh, a couple of months ago. She, she said, where do I go to broaden out my view of the world? Where do I go to make sure that I'm not living in an echo chamber? And I was thinking to myself, that's such a fantastic question because most people don't even realize they're in an echo chamber. And I think once we actually accept that no matter who we are, we have our bias, then we can start looking at how we can combat that bias, whether it's anything, whether it's things related to gender, whether it's related to race, whether it's related to politics. As soon as you realize that you have a bias, which isn't a bad thing because we all have bias, then you can start working out, well, what can I do to overcome that bias? Um, I'm fascinated by this and I think we could turn an entire episode in, into the concept of objective thinking. Um, but today we're going to be talking about something completely different. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to Expensive Lessons where company directors and best friends catch up to discuss life, it seems like lately. We talk about the lessons that we've learned as business owners and hopefully provide you insight that can help you on your journey. Uh, but we also use this as an opportunity, I think, for a bit of therapy for each other. And um, yeah. I think this has definitely helped me just at the end of my week, just get all of my thoughts down and understood so that I can combat the next week with a bit of luster. Now, luckily today for you, we've got a impressive treat. We've got a fantastic guest on who I think is going to really wow the listeners uh, of this podcast. Um, you may recall a couple of months ago, we had, uh, oh, sorry, not months, weeks ago, we had a discussion uh, which aligned with Mental Health Awareness Week. And that discussion touched upon a few different areas. And I made a few points which admittedly said were controversial and I definitely want to delve into those points in a little bit more detail. Now I have no apologies for making controversial uh, statements because I don't claim to have any expertise in that, in that space so I'm, I'm sharing my point of view but because we've just spent a few minutes talking about expertise 
I want to demonstrate the importance of having other viewpoints, different viewpoints, which can help us triangulate our own perspective and our own opinions. We have today one of my oldest friends, um, I'll scratch that, one of our oldest friends, um, somebody who has seen us transform from tracksuit wearing, earring wearing, stripy hoodies. <laughs> Um, stripy hoodies stripy hoodie wearing students to the people that are sharing you um, sharing the insight that we have with you today um, I'd like to introduce Manaz Khan who is a fantastic lawyer an amazing friend and a tech enthusiast as well as somebody who is I'd say one of the most interesting voices that I know when it when it comes to sociology and social interaction, somebody who spends a lot of time trying to understand how people connect with people and is incredibly modest. So listening to this is going to be feeling very uncomfortable, but this is the point where I hand the ball over to her and give her an opportunity to introduce herself. Hi, Menas. Abby, Aflabi, hello. That was super uncomfortable for me to hear, but thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. Um, so for everybody that's listening that doesn't know me, as Abby mentioned, I'm a commercial lawyer and I work in the technology space. But I guess the reason I'm here today is not really anything to do with that. It's just more so that I'm myself, someone who works and is working through the many ups and downs that life is bringing me. And Having listened to that mental health podcast, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to both of you. Podcasts are unforgiving, right? You put yourselves kind of out there for everyone to just dissect and analyze. And the purpose of me kind of jumping in on this conversation is not to in any way criticize anything that was said. It's just to dig in a little bit deeper, just to get in a little bit kind of more, um, get some more color to the conversation. Now, Again, for those that don't know us, um, as Abby mentioned, um, we've been friends for a very long time. And I like to see myself as the gray space to Abby's black and white. We all play a very kind of um, interesting role in each other's lives where I always see myself as the person who walks through life a little bit unintentional without much structure. And that's guidance and structure Abby and Aflabi have provided me throughout the times when we were working together in a call centre 10, 15, 20 years ago. So um, that's a little bit of context for you all. So I don't know how you wanted to kick it off, but... Well, one, one mm. thing I do, I do want to kick it off with is just asking the simple question. Um, what, what does mental health mean to you? Good question. Really, really good question. Um, before we dig into that, just a couple of disclaimers, because of course I am a lawyer. One, I'm not a mental health expert. This is not my field of study. I'm not a medical expert. Again, I'm just talking about my life experiences. So if you are listening to this and you do need help, please go and find it in the spaces where people are actually trained to talk about this stuff. Uh, number two, all views on my own. My thing I'm saying represents the view of my company. Um, and again, three, like, have some mercy on us when we're speaking because, you know, there's, um, <laughs> there's a lot to be said in this space. But for me, what does good mental health mean to me? 
I think sometimes it's very easy to conflate good mental health with feeling happy all the time. For me, good mental health means the ability to dissect, understand, and put words to the thoughts that I'm feeling. Those feelings may not always be positive. There may be a lot of negative feelings. There may be feelings where I'm finding it hard to cope under the pressures of day-to-day life. But for me, mental health is super, super, super important. And specifically, um, again, for those that don't know me, I've had a real, real, real big struggle with my weight over my whole life. So, um, you know, at my highest point, I was about 132 kilograms, 23 stone. Um, And it was having a massive impact on my physical well-being. I was, you know, I was dishing to myself, I was prescribing myself doses of discipline, doses of diet, nutrition, things that you were talking about in the early stages of this conversation, when actually I had to really dish up myself a dose of, where's my headspace at? What's really going on? For me to be able to tackle the issue of becoming physically healthy. So for me, mental health is, is, it means a lot, it's super important, and it's not something that I've mastered in any way, shape or form. Okay. What does it mean to you, Oh, I love it when I, I love it when the question is is, is flipped on uh, back to us. Um, Afalabi, I think they've heard a bit of my voice or well, enough of my voice for a moment. I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, so in answering, firstly, <clears throat> Manaz, welcome. We love you. Um, you're beautiful. You have been a voice in our lives for such a long time and a voice of difference, which is needed, very much needed. And I think there have been many occasions where you may have questioned whether that difference was essential it was absolutely essential. In answering that question, what is mental health? I actually want to go back to something you said. Now, Menez, okay, for those people listening, Menez and I go back and forth. We don't argue, but we debate. Mm. And I love it. You mentioned, and I don't know whether you'll stand by this, that mental health might be being happy all the time. And from my perspective, I don't think that is mental health. Um, I don't think if you are mentally healthy, you're actually happy all of the time. Um, I actually firmly believe that stress, which is sometimes an indicator of poor mental health, inaccurately in my opinion, is also essential if done correctly. I.e. when someone goes to the gym, they're exerting strength, uh, stress upon their muscles. But if they rest afterwards, there is a moment of progress, a moment of reflection, a moment of them becoming stronger. And however, if they're constantly stressing their muscles without recovery, that's when injury comes. So I don't necessarily think that mental health is a constant state of happiness. And we almost have to almost define what happiness is. But I do believe that good mental health is um, a state of joy and understanding of who you are, where you are and why you are there. Taking a step back, what is mental health then? I, I don't think it's on the spectrum of good or bad. I, I, I merely think it's just an indicator of your, your, your cognitive state. Avalabi, this is one of the points where unfortunately the listeners won't be able to hear our back and forth because I 100% wholeheartedly agree. And if it wasn't clear, I did mention that it's not a constant state of happiness. Okay. So, yeah so I didn't mean that absolutely and I 100% agree and it's not a state of constant happiness it's not necessarily a state of denial of 
toxic positivity that everything's going well in my it's just a, it's a state of understanding it's a state of understanding and sometimes compassion and acceptance is a major part in it but Abby what does mental mean to you so for me I, I don't want to reiterate everything that you guys have said because I completely agree with with that concept of it's a level of self-awareness so good mental health is about understanding your, yourself understanding how your mind works and understanding what things can trigger certain emotions I'd say the only thing I would add to that is mental health is also about having the tools to be able to change your mental state if necessary. Now, those tools can be both internal and external. So those tools can be things that you can do, ways of thinking in order to help you change your state if need be. Or it can also be knowing what resources you can use in order to help change your state. So agree that it's definitely about self-awareness. It's about being able to, to overcome challenges. Um, I think it's also being able to identify how you can change your state if necessary. And maybe we can dig into this a little bit deeper because this is exactly the point that I was finding difficult to process in the previous podcast. So I don't know if people have listened to that. If you haven't, I'd suggest you do because it's super interesting, really insightful episode, as is as are all of your episodes, but that one in particular really struck a chord with me. It was the comment, which we'll talk about in a minute, was set in the beautiful context of you both being very open, very vulnerable about various different challenges and issues. And I think that should not be forgotten because taking one snippet out of context, again, is not, I think it's not a good analysis of the situation. But Abby, you said people have, brittle spirits not everyone but there are a number of people who have very brittle spirits and I think that was a phrase coined by Dave Chappelle and in response to you know you spoke about what a brittle spirit is someone who's kind of um, doesn't have the capacity to deal with minor inconveniences in life and one of the solutions or kind of the the suggestions you made was toughen up from a place of compassion for me, I don't disagree in the sense that resilience and these conversations that we're having now are super important. But I think the way that it came across for me was you're dishing up good mental health as a kind of remedy for poor mental health. And that's a really difficult concept for me to grasp. Right. So what I'd like, like what I'd love to hear is just a little bit more about what you really meant by that statement and just digging into that a little bit more. How what do we mean by toughen up? You're what being, do you mean? You're, you're being very compassionate to me in the way that you're speaking. This is not how the conversation went when we <laughs> spoke about it. There were bullets firing. There, there, was thing, there were fingers pointed. So I appreciate you being very um, diplomatic <laughs> with your approach. The way I would categorize it, and let me be absolutely honest with you. The reason that I said it, the way that I said, which was toughen up, was because unfortunately there are times when people need a little bit of a shock to the system. And when you speak to people completely compassionately, often the message is diluted to the point that people don't actually take the medicine that they need. So I was, I, I could have definitely articulated that 
in a different way. And I really hope people take it in the spirit that it was intended. But the reason why I said toughen up in a way that I did is because I actually wanted to trigger people. I wanted to upset people who thought that that was talking about them. Because I think if, um, it, it might have been Skepta. Um, he, and this is, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, he said something along the lines of having conviction um, and if this song sounds like it's for you, then it's because you fit in the waste man description. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that people are waste man, but I'm just saying that it was a fantastic bar and Skepta it was, it was one of my favorite, favorite grime artists. Now, back, back to the point. The reason why I was being so pointed with that point is because I wanted people to explore the emotions that they felt when somebody felt when they felt as if they were being targeted. Now, some people hear that and it's a rallying call. It's a, I'll show you. Some, some people would hear that and feel incredibly disheartened. Mm -hmm. However, what I would like to see is that everybody who felt something would be, would then go down to analyze why they felt something. Um, and the way that I would almost categorize it is on this podcast, Afalabi and I, we spend a lot of time being the mother of a situation mm. where we are very compassionate and we are very com caring with, with people about how we approach certain sensitive topics. Um, and, you know, I'm using stereotypical archetypes about how a mother treats her children versus how a father treats our situation. Now, in this instance, I was being the father. I was being the father who sees their child fall down cry and doesn't immediately go to pick them up instead says what are you crying for um another random anecdote um i went to a friend's party uh, a few years ago and two of two two children were running around with water guns um water guns um squirting at each other and one of, one of the little boys falls over and starts crying. And his dad immediately comes over. He says, what are you crying for? You can't ball in a war. <laughs> <laughs> now, this, you know, now, now I'm, I'm, I'm providing loads of anecdotes and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sharing a perspective to almost defend myself for the uh, approach that I took. That isn't to say that that is a sufficient answer. And in hindsight, I think it was a failing on my part not to go into a bit more detail in terms of what we mean by resilience and what we mean by toughen up. Um, Afalabi. I think that's been very well said. And I think it really emphasizes the importance of sometimes shocking people into action. And I say into action in that on the worst cases, when we all have poor mental health, we are crippled by our inability to act. And I think that is what continues to paralyze us. Um, as human beings, we, we should never be crippled by our inability to act. That's why we despise injustices in society and prejudice, because it's taken away someone's agency, someone's ability to actually do something. And thus, the, the shock factor there is sometimes needed, especially in, in the workplace, let's say having difficult conversations. You can sometimes... Uh, water down the issue so much that, as Abby mentioned, that the medicine doesn't actually get through. So there's a, a delicate balancing act needed on occasions of coaching, comforting, ushering in what is needed. And on other instances, 
not as often as the coaching, comforting, ushering. You just lay it how it is. Now, in terms of laying how it is, the question is, is that accurate phrasing? I, I would like to frame it as brittle souls rather than brittle spirits. And what I mean by that is, it's going back to the idea of the way people think. Have we been conditioned and trained, disciplined to think our way into and out of situations? And what I mean by that is we can think ourselves into a depressed state. The, the mind is powerful enough to do that. Have we been trained and disciplined to think our way out of it? And at the beginning, Abby mentioned tools, the importance of us having tools to, to do so. And that's really where I, I want us to focus our message. How can people be developed to equip themselves with these tools? Abby. Um. I completely, I, I agree with that. And I think that back to what I said previously was the failing of that episode, which is we told people to tiff toughen up. We asked people to develop resilience. We didn't talk about any of the tools that people can use in order to develop that resilience. So in answer to your question, Menas, before I, I let you go back, what, what I do want to spend time talking about today and some of the other things is what Afalabi just mentioned, which is training your mind to think yourself in and out of different states and what tools are at your disposal in a bit more detail to help you achieve that. So when I say toughen up, what I, what I actually mean, and we'll delve into this in more, is educate yourself. Educate yourself about yourself and educate yourself about how you can change your state. It doesn't mean that somebody who... Um, is struggling with difficulties isn't tough but like anything somebody who's having difficulty probably needs to go back to, to to the education stage if you're having difficulty in your relationship if you're having difficulty at your job if you're having difficulty in any aspect of your life which requires you to execute one of the key remedies to that difficulty is acquiring more knowledge and more support so I'm going to stop there because I know that men, as you want to get in, but hopefully I've answered or at least started to answer your question. No, you haven't. This is exactly where I wanted us to go. And I definitely think going into resilience as a process versus resilience as a character trait is really important for us because it's something that can be trained and developed. However, there are a number of points that were just raised that I want to antagonize a little bit more just for a little while. So, shocking someone into submission. Do we really think that in the mental health space, in the conversation where people are already struggling, already finding it difficult to cope, that that's necessarily the right strategy? Now, let me finish for one sec. So, if you think about the lowest moments in your life, the points where you feel absolutely hopeless where you feel like there's not really avenue any avenue to go i think we have to approach this conversation in a way where there's of course different demographics and you may talk about the younger generation and their ability to be resilient etc and i can't comment on that necessarily but just on my knowledge of us as a group of friends um and my friends generally we're really tough on ourselves 
And part of the reason why sometimes I find it hard to bounce back through these situations is because I'm already having this conversation with myself. What's wrong with you? Why can you not bounce back at this moment? And having someone there to dose me up a dish of, just get on with it, what's wrong with you, toughen up, is probably the worst remedy that you can dish me at that time. And I challenge both of you, because both of you have been there for me in some of my toughest situations. Was that how you would approach me in those conversations? Or would you approach me with empathy and compassion in a way where you would understand or seek to understand or seek to soothe me and my already very critical self? So to expand upon what you just said, you shared that we are very tough upon ourselves which is accurate. We're already very tough upon ourselves. So when we are actually communicating with one another in terms of difficulty, with the knowledge that we as a echo chamber, as a, a nucleus are already tough on ourselves, the response isn't um, militant responses. The, the response is compassion. It, that the idea isn't to shock someone into submission, as you said, but it's to almost shock someone into action if they've already gone through the compassion. So the, the objective is never to encourage that boy in that house party to remain lying on the floor because he's already in submission. The objective is to shock him into thinking about, okay, you've lost right now this battle, but it's not over. You are alive. You're breathing. How are you going to think yourself into a different position? I, I agree. Um, one thing I want to say about that, and is I'll touch on with anecdotes, because um, this is a very safe kind of environment that we've set up for each other because we're all close friends. But I'll use Afalabi as an example where depending on the context, you take different approaches. Now, Afalabi, um, praise God, has recently purchased a new property. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't want, I wasn't sure whether I should share that because you never know, a listener might turn up at the yard for, for free advice. But um, he purchased a new property. And when we had that conversation, he was being very hard on himself. Him, himself because one of the things he said is I don't think I did enough to earn this um, and in that instant I was very compassionate about my approach and one of the reasons why he didn't feel like he'd done very much to earn it is because he hadn't actually worked as hard as he'd worked to get his first property and I think there was a almost desire that there would be more blood, sweat and tears going into this process. And my, my, my response to him was that you've worked just as much as you need to. You've transitioned from, I said something along the lines of your transition from a state of working hard to working smart. So although you don't feel like you've, you know, exerted yourself physically or mentally, you've actually made the right decisions in order to get yourself into this space. Now that's for me from approaching a concern from a place of compassion. Now, a very different environment or a very different discussion we had about five years ago when Afalabi was dealing with some of the challenges of um, working a full-time job and also being a business owner and also engaging with, with friends and family. And we've spoken about this on our podcast previously. And my statement to him in that instance was, bro, you're not fun anymore. And he's mentioned that in the podcast and he mentioned that being a very surprising but needed um, statement for him to, to, to put where he was in, in context. And the, the point that I'm trying to make there is that depending on the context, it, it may require a different approach. 
And I'm not saying that you should always demonstrate tough love, but I am saying that in a world which is going to dish out some significant challenges, more so than the phrase toughen up, if people aren't hearing that, when they step out into the, the, the world, the unforgiving world, they're not necessarily going to be prepared for some of the things that it dishes out. Um, so do I agree that this isn't, that it isn't always the most effective approach to, to, to get somebody um, where they need to be? Absolutely. But is it sometimes necessary to wake people up from what, what we've referred to in the past as sleepwalking? Yes. Um, Menas? I think you've illustrated my point beautifully, and that is contextual. It doesn't work in every situation. And I think that was just slightly missing from the last conversation because it was the first point. So it was the first point that was raised. It was raised in the context of judgment of the generation that's come after us. And for me, again, I'm not an educator like you, Afalabi, so I don't necessarily have the context that you have. But it feels to me that every generation that comes is always very hard on the generation that, you know, that comes after it because life is different. It's all contextual. It's all relative. So what we may deem to be a minor inconvenience for someone else that we'd be able to deal with very differently, maybe something that's really massive. And that's exactly the point that you're making. I appreciate that, Flavi, which is, you know, let's reframe, re-evalu- Abby, sorry, reevaluate how we react to things that shouldn't necessarily impact us in the way. But is that judgment helpful? Is that judgment helpful? Is the judgment of the inconvenience being bigger or less? Now, one of the tools that I've had to use myself in terms of reframing when I'm being hard on whether I should feel upset for myself in a particular situation. Now, let's take COVID, for an for example. There have been so many people that have been really negatively impacted by COVID. And by God's grace, I am really thriving in the sense that I am, I've got a job. I've got some amazing friends. I'm trying to feel connected. But there have been times where it's been really hard. Nonetheless, it's been really, really hard. And I found that very difficult to process because the blocker of dismissing the fact that it's hard didn't allow me to actually work through, okay, what do I need? Where do I need to be? So this was a conversation with my therapist that I had. And my therapist said to me, so if you've lost one leg and your neighbor's lost two legs, are you not allowed to mourn the loss of your one leg? And I was like, wait, hang on, what? And then I automatically came up with my defenses. Yeah, but no, of course you are. Absolutely, of course you are. It's all relative. So, you know, is it a good is it a good strategy? That's just that's I think that was the thing that I was finding hard to process. Is it a good strategy, Abby? I think the answer to that question, which is an unsatisfying answer, is sometimes and for some people. Yeah. Some people yeah. need the kick up the backside in order to, to, to wake up. Um, and I've seen that in other areas, not necessarily with that specific statement, but with the sleepwalking through life statement, which many people have come to me and mentioned that to me, where Afalabi and I talked about people who are sleepwalking through life and people are hearing that and actually having a visceral reaction to it. 
multiple people have come to me and said that I feel like that's what I'm doing. And, you know, that wasn't a very warm and cuddly statement, but it is something that woke people up to what they might be doing. I think the other point I want to mention very quickly is the concept of judgment, which is there is an assumption that this place is coming from a place of judgment. And it's really not because if a parent gives their child the tools or gives them their child a very um, robust upbringing, it's not because he doesn't love them. It's not because he doesn't want the best for them. It's because he wants to prepare them for some of the challenges. Now I've said on this podcast multiple times that I think the the, the generation below us is here to save us. I've said, because I wholeheartedly believe that in many ways they have some of the tools, they're equipped with some of the tools, which is going to hopefully transform this world for the better. However, to add to that, and from a place of compassion, one of the things which I believe could be a hindrance there is a lack of resilience. And I believe if they add, if many of them add that to their toolbox, they are going to be incredibly incredibly effective and the last thing i want to mention around the concept of judgment is your aspiration is your biggest judge the person who you want to be is more judgmental than anybody else on this planet if you have aspirations to be somebody amazing or to do something incredibly fulfilling in life that picture that you have of yourself in the future is a bigger judge than anybody else can be because of all of the expectations that you have of yourself. Now, the reason why I say that is because when we talk about all of the difficulties that we have in how we treat ourselves, we know that that's because nobody has said anything about us that we haven't already thought about ourselves. And when we hear things that negatively impact us is because they're validating quote-unquote some of the things that we've already thought about ourselves now if some of that is true then we can take two two decisions on it we can either disregard it or we can decide to dissect it and see why it's affected us and i still want to get onto that in this discussion and talk about specifically some of the the tools and some of the um strategies uh, strategies that people can can use to get there yeah, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> okay, okay. Last, last, word, last word to Menes on this, and we're going to delve into some of those tools. And the reason I'm not done yet is this mainly because the point that I made about judgment wasn't the... I wasn't saying that you... It's, it, judgment comes from a place of compassion often. It comes from a place of love. But often the tools for me that have helped me has been observation versus placing judgment on my thought patterns, the way that I'm feeling, because I'm very hard on myself a lot of the times. Especially as women, we are often required to shoulder the burdens of life without really tapping necessarily into our emotions, because I'm already predisposed to thinking that I'm a sensitive being. And whilst I've tapped into that, that's allowed me to build the resilience. So I'm not saying that you weren't compassionate or caring when it comes to a place of judgment, but the place of judgment is just placing a moral value on your thoughts or things. This is a good thought. This is a bad thought. So that's, that's one point. And the other point that I was thinking about that is, 
your aspirations being your biggest judgment. Absolutely, but we're not speaking in the context of aspirations and personal growth and development in the career sense. We're talking about mental well-being, and it's a very different context. And I think that's, again, something that I wanted to bring this, this conversation back to. So mental health is definitely a cornerstone and a keystone for you to become and realise your full potential and do amazing things with your life. But mental health is also sometimes mistaken just to be that it's your day-to-day state often you know often it's your day-to-day state so I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here but I think I really realized the importance of good mental health when I went when I stopped thinking of it as a tool necessarily to get me to the next stage of my careers and I have to be good with mental health because if I'm not I won't end up being the big superstar, like general counsel or whatever. That's secondary. That's absolutely secondary. I realised that mental health was super important to me when it came, when it really became a matter of life and death. It's just about existing, existing and not existing. So with that, going on to the specific tools, So I'd love to hear from you too about what specific tools that you deploy on a day-to-day life that help you overcome the ebbs and flows of life. Lovely. Can I can I come come in here? Um, I'm going to link what I want to say to your tool, and this tool, depending upon the audience, is sometimes first and sometimes last, but really it should always be first. Now, a reoccurring theme throughout this conversation has been around balance. And what we've all tried to explain is that balance is needed. Balance in um, the environment that you're in, in terms of the voices which are being really compassionate and, um, and caring for you and ushering you along, alongside the voices which are a lot more um, hardened and disciplined and encouraging you to take massive action. That, that balance is needed. And as you spoke as someone who has openly shared mental health challenges and is a woman and then goes through challenges which we would never understand, balancing your environment is crucial in terms of your audience, in terms of what people are saying to you. Previously, I thought that great mental health was about balance. However, the, the, the more I grow, the more I realize that Abby was always right in that it is about spiritual frailty I, I almost called it as um, people's souls, people's minds being brittle and not their spirits. But, but the reason why some people almost struggle to understand where Abby and I are coming from is that our mental health doesn't come from our mind per se, our soul, but it comes from a spiritual place. We firmly, and Abby, cut in if I'm speaking for you, but we, we firmly believe that for us to be mentally healthy, we have to triangulate our minds, our bodies with our spirits. And it's, it's that spiritual place which supersedes all of the others. There is a, a balance which comes through knowing that one, we live in a fractured, broken world. Two, although we live in a fractured, broken world, there is a heavenly father who loves us all. Three, because of the love of that heavenly father, there is a way out hashtag get out the movie, you are not trapped in this house. (laughs) You can get out. And the way you get out first is not via life and death, not through 
dying at the end of your, your physical life, but by dying to self and dying in an understanding that this is not it. There is so much more. Now, okay, moving away from all the metaphors, et cetera, et cetera. It is my faith and my belief that I don't actually have to worry about anything because this is a game. Actually, I'm going into metaphors again. I don't have to worry about anything because it's all, how do I simplify this? I don't have to worry about anything simply because challenges will come because we live in a broken world. But I have a source which is able to help me understand where I am in this broken world and understand that whilst the world is broken, I have not necessarily an escape, but I have a place which ensures that my well-being, my mental state, my, my, my career, my education, all the things that I value is actually being valued by someone else and being taken into consideration by that person. And because of that notion that actually I don't have to do everything for myself, that I am not alone in this world, that gives me balance. That gives me perspective. Now, some people have that irrespective of um, Christian faith. They might get that from other, other places. But that's my cornerstone in terms of strategies. We're going to share the strategies, tangible strategies, which can be applied to anyone and everyone. But it is knowledge that... All of my problems come from not knowing God enough that helps me to remain centered and to place earthly challenges in context. Abby. Um, absolutely. Um, that, that is something which I feel very fortunate to have my faith. And I say it as something that I feel fortunate to have because I think it is a blessing. Um, and what I want to talk about is for people who do have faith, some of the key tools that you can take away from that are two in particular. One is attend church and spend time praying with or for like-minded people. And the other one is to read the source, which is read the Bible. Um, those are two things which I do very regularly to help me develop resilience. But I want to take a step back from that just because I'm conscious that, you know, there are many people who don't share the same faith that I do. So one, one, one thing that, um, one author which, which is spoke to me about this concept is a guy called Skip Heidzik. And um, when, he, when it comes to resilience, he talks about the importance of humility within resilience. When if you're a humble individual, it's easier to be resilient because it feels less like the world is on your shoulders, which you are holding up. Um, sometimes because of our view of ourselves, we struggle to be resilient because we believe that our actions are impacting the entire world. Um, you know, there are a couple of examples that I would share. I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this, but I think it's a perfect example. My lovely wife, when I got sick um, and went to the hospital, she believed that the reason that um, I got sick was because of a lot of the stress that had um, come about due to us planning the wedding. And she believed that that was her fault. Now, because of that issue, she found it very difficult and it was, you know, a big burden on her. And the point I had to take is that this is not nothing to do with you. There are many moving parts to take into consideration here. You are not the sole recipient of quote unquote blame 
for this area. And, and Skip Heidsick said something which I think is really fantastic, which is humility isn't about thinking lowly of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. Humility is about putting others and putting different, you know, other concepts ahead of your ability to change the universe. Because ultimately, when we believe that our actions are going to have a ripple effect on the entire universe, it's a huge burden on us. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that people who aren't particularly spiritual do, I think this is one, I, 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 I can't remember, I think it's one of the atheists, actually, one of the big major atheists that has, has sta- sta- stated this um, point. But it's about taking a step outside and looking at the stars. Um, and as soon as you take a step outside and look at the stars and compute that these are billions of billions of miles away and there are hundreds of millions, just as many stars as grains of sand, it really does put your life, your existence in perspective. Not to say that you're worthless, but just to provide you with a framing, a foundation of how massive your position in the world is compared to the enormity of the universe. So just two points there, but Menos, please. This has been such brilliant learning for me because this is another topic that I wanted to dig into a little bit more, which is spirituality versus faith versus religion and how that helps both of you and your grounding. Because one thing I'd say about both of you, you're very centered and you're very grounded. And that definitely, I think, has an impact on how you deal with the challenges that life faces you. But what I've heard from that, So I had a conversation with someone else about that episode of that podcast and they found it difficult to grasp the concept of spirituality as, you know, because they've had challenges with the church, with faith, with religion, with organised religion. But the bits that have stuck out to me from what you've said is hope. So before hope is a very real understanding that things are broken, that there are struggles. There's no, for me, sometimes when I view, um, you know, religion and it seems like there's a lot of toxic positivity as things are great you know the life is amazing you have to be happy and be grateful but the fact that you mentioned Afalabi that is we live in a broken world things go wrong there are struggles but the bit that really resonated is the hope that actually there is a bigger context to this life and the same thing that you mentioned uh, Abby as well that actually stepping out looking at the stars and understanding that there is something else out there beyond what you're facing right now it's a moot point whether you believe that is an afterlife whether it's got but it's just that grounding that there is something there and that was also very hard for me to articulate when we're talking about spirituality because I've never seen myself necessarily as a spiritual person I don't sit down I don't meditate I don't have crystals I don't have a particular religion that I subscribe to but actually actually if that's what you're talking about in terms of spirituality there's a little part of me somewhere where regardless of all of my flaws and failures to be intentional with my life there's just a little hope that things are gonna work out when I was a cat with eight life if things will work out we'll figure it out there will always be that bounce back just really would love to take that and transplant it to everyone who doesn't feel that at the moment because I'm sure there are people that don't Abby I'll I'll try and talk about this in secular terms because I wholeheartedly well I don't this is my belief 
But I, in my belief, I know everybody is a spiritual being. And I want to try and illustrate that point a little bit to try and demonstrate that we do have a level of spirituality. We have a level of faith, which somehow can be translated or communicated to everybody that you speak to. And what I want to refer to is the concept of potential. You can look at somebody and say, this person is not living up to their potential. Now, when you say that someone's not living up to their potential, what do you mean? Because potential isn't something that you can touch. It isn't something that you can hold. It's something that you believe. But when you say that to somebody, everybody knows what you're talking about. Everybody can agree on a concept which isn't material, which is potential. This person has potential. And I'm not trying to take this down a completely pseudoscientific or metaphysical route. But what I want to ask there is that when we talk about living up to your potential or achieving your potential, what that means is you're putting your, your, feet, your, your feelings, your aspirations on a transcendence. You're putting it on something that you can't touch or feel, something which is somewhere in the air that you're trying to grab at. And the reason why I think that's quite powerful is that it tells you that if you believe in a potential, quote unquote, and you aspire to that potential, something which isn't material, that you can make material, then your mind is so much more powerful than just the chemicals swirling around in it. It means that you can create something out of nothing in a metaphysical sense. So... If you believe in your own potential, if you believe that there is more that you can achieve, then you're aspiring to something that doesn't actually exist, mm. but you believe it wholeheartedly. Mm. And you don't need to be religious to believe that. But it's such a powerful tool because it can help you through some really difficult challenges. Absolutely. Men, as we've been there, um, going back almost a decade, I've been in your car um, a car which should not have been on the road, and you wholeheartedly believed that you had enough petrol to get us to the petrol station, and we were going around what was officially the most dangerous roundabout in the UK, hashtag Elephant and Castle, and I was scared for my life, but you had a wholehearted confidence that you could make it. I was looking at the dial saying, this petrol's gone. There's no petrol in this car. You've got no power steering whatsoever. And I, I like my life. I want to live... I haven't achieved anything yet. Belief is unbelievably powerful. Mm-hmm. Unbelievably powerful. It, it's what people can do through it. Whether you read the likes of Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and, and, and Logotherapy, or you, you read the likes of um, Nietzsche, or you just listen to the hysterical strength stories which come out every single year of what some people are able to do because of the environment that they're in. And often they're almost excused as mythical. But there are newspaper clippings about these incidents, which are then absorbed by another natural disaster in the world because people just love negativity. Mm. But what is true is that in moments of desperation, we need to get to that petrol station, or my child is under this car, people do incredible things which they could not do normally. That's... (laughs) Thank you for bringing up that analogy. That uh, I'm a different person now. <laughs> 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 the, 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 I think that I think the spirituality and belief in yourself is definitely one really, really important coping mechanism. Now, we will. Work oh, but, but, sorry, Manas, I'm going to cut you there. Sorry, Manas, to cut you there. It's it's the spirituality, believing yourself, but believing in someone else and something, something that's greater than you. 
because there are, there are a lot of people who latch onto the believing in yourself and there are it, it can work a great deal there are books which have sold millions of copies on how you can believe more in yourself the secret etc etc and it helps people but the real source is in you but imputed in you in that it is in god it's god in you it's 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 out of you it's external and it links to the humility quote which abby mentioned previously it's understanding that the source the key is outside there and not in you and almost encouraging you to get out of your own mind and to tap into the mind of the source now let's flip that back because i think that's definitely an important strategy and going back into one thing that i admire about both of you which is self-awareness you two are one of the you, you both of you and i think the way that you flip back with each other is in therapy in itself in the sense that you are very 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 aware of your own mind so whilst you're aware of the fact that there's a higher power and you've got a purpose which is also a great episode of the podcast you know of the podcast which i encourage everyone to listen to you've got a purpose you serve others but you're also extremely evaluative of your own mental states your own limitations as abby mentioned at the beginning of this conversation your physical limitations as well how important do you think that is in terms of being able to evaluate your mind your mindset in terms of for our listeners who feel like maybe there are these kind of belief conversations, these spirituality, they're just not helping right now in this particular moment, in this particular challenge. They are specifically finding an issue difficult to cope with. Can we maybe go into a little bit more about other specific coping mechanisms, other specific techniques, specific techniques, Abby? One of the things that I think people are very nervous to do which i would encourage is to seek out constructive feedback actively seek it out now in the corporate world now we have things like 360 feedback loops etc but when we're getting 360 feedback loop um or 360 feedback from people at work we're only really getting feedback about one element of our existence one element of who we are I would really encourage people to speak to the people that they love the most and, and ask them simple question, who am I? Who do you think I am? Like, what are, my, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do you think my values are? What are my, what are my goals? And if, if I'm going to be very specific, let me ask, I will say these are the key questions that you want to ask. You want to ask someone, what do you think my values are? What do you think my beliefs are? What do you think my strengths are? What do you think my weaknesses are? And see how, and before you actually do that, ask, do that, ask yourself that question. Mm. Write it down on a piece of paper. What are my values? What are my beliefs? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And see how that compares with other people, um, with, with other people's feedback. And the reason why that's important is because that will help you get a better understanding of who you are if you're struggling. Because one of the common conversations that I have with young people now is, I actually don't know who I am. And one of the reasons for that is because we've become so isolated as a society. Um, we, we are limited in terms of our interactions. And sometimes we have very odd in interactions with others, which 
doesn't make sense. We don't understand why that meeting with someone so was awkward. We don't understand why we're not necessarily getting uh, ahead in certain areas. And a lot of it comes down to how do you feel like you are being perceived? So that would be the first part of that in terms of fully making yourself um, aware of who you are. And by understanding who you are, you can then understand where you thrive. Because when we talk about resilience, there are certain instances where resilience is more difficult than others. If you're in a job that you hate, if you're in an environment with people that you despise, it's very difficult to be resilient. It's very difficult for you to overcome those challenges compared to if you are in an environment which is feeding you, which is supporting you, et cetera. So by understanding you, you know, who you are and what makes you tick, it's a lot easier to put yourself in an environment which is conducive and supportive to increase your resilience. Mm-hmm. Now, boxers cannot go 30 rounds. There's a reason why a boxing match is limited to maximum 12 rounds because everybody has a limit. Um, In actual fact, when boxing started, I think it starts, I think rounds lasted up to about 30 rounds until people were having significant physical issues. So boxing matches are 12 rounds. So the question for you is what environment do you need to be in where going that 12 rounds is possible versus what environment can you be in where going 12 rounds is a lot more difficult. Um, a good example is if you've seen the Creed movie, Creed goes, um, sorry, the, uh, the new um, uh, Bo- Rocky franchise, Creed goes to the desert and starts boxing in, you know, 90 degree Fahrenheit heat to increase, mm. you know, the, to change the, his environment, increase his ability to be resilient in his normal space. But ultimately, yep. In an air-conditioned boxing ring, you're always going to do better. Mena. There's so much importance to understanding yourself and having that awareness of how people perceive you. For me, being is being perceived. There's no other reality of yourself than the reality that exists in other people's heads. It's super important to understand that in a way where you diminish the misunderstanding that a lot of people feel when they don't understand how they're being perceived however again we're going very broad i want to talk about specific techniques for when you have that moment of that low and the reason i want to talk about that maybe we can do you know what okay maybe introspectively a situation that i've been in for a long for many many years with my weight loss as the context I mentioned earlier that I've been dishing out to myself doses of self-discipline, self-loathing, self-hating, self-love, and just dishes of everything to move forward on my health and fitness journey. Now, it was only up until the point where I really realized that actually what I'm doing here by encouraging there to be physical layers of fat that sit on top of my body, it's a coping mechanism that's absolutely absolutely the most resilient thing I could do at that point in the context that was given to me with the challenges I was facing. Developing an eating disorder, whilst it's not a positive coping mechanism and it's not something that I'm absolutely encouraging at all, reframing the understanding of myself and my coping mechanisms, which is at night I eat in secret, in the daytime I starve myself. That at night eating in secret is not a lack of discipline. It's actually me wanting to switch off to the world eating to a point of feeling sick and feeling horrible and I don't know if both of you know about all of these different challenges but I try to stop that by dishing out to myself 
doses of tough love, doses of, you know, doses of kind of remedies that were fit for other people, like both of you are talking about earlier in terms of nutrition advice, dietary advice, in terms of so many, and it was only up until the fact that I realized that actually, and the way that I realized this was through critical self-awareness, through seeking professional help, of course, um, but, you know, that I realized, okay, this is a coping mechanism, but what the frick am I coping with? What am I trying to cope with? And understanding what it was that I was trying to cope with and dealing with the source of the issue helped me to then unravel the fact that I didn't need, at a point, thank God, now I do not need these coping mechanisms in the same way. I don't need to hold on to this stuff. So a kind of a, a, a snippet of a practical technique of when you're dealing with your day-to-day issues reevaluate how you are coping in your current state think about what you're doing good and bad that's helping you get by and why Abby so I, I want to um, piggyback off that point and it comes back to what I mentioned previously about beliefs because once again that might be something that's left up in the air about something beliefs can be both positive and negative And I'll give you an example of a negative belief that can um, uh, manifest in the way that I act. So one of my beliefs, and it's a belief, it's not something that I um, wish I held on to, but it's something that I struggle with. One of my beliefs is that people in my life are only in my life because I am useful to them. That's a belief. Now, that isn't something that is easy to identify through self-awareness, but that's something that I believe that people in my life, all of my friends, are only in my life because I'm useful to them. Now, how does that manifest in the way that I act? I always look to add value to people's lives because somewhere in me, there's a click, there's a a mental barrier which says, if you stop being valuable, people will stop loving you. So when I talk about being, having your beliefs, I want, I want people to really delve into what do you believe, both positive and negative, because then it starts to demonstrate how you act around people. Now, it's not always easy to, to, to understand your beliefs. And sometimes you need, as you said, therapy to help you delve into that. But once you understand your beliefs, you're in a stronger position to help overcome or combat them. And to your point, you identified a a, a belief about yourself which required a coping mechanism and when we look at the ways that our body works the way that we act we now under, we need to understand what belief do we have about ourselves which is making us act in a certain way and that could be so below the surface that we need that medical expert help to delve it to the top if that makes sense that does make sense. Now, Abby, I'm really pleased that you shared that example because for me, it's a tangible example of why I disagree with one thing that Manaj said. Manaj, you mentioned previously that being is being perceived, which mm-hmm. is true, but that's where the error is. Being should be more about our perception rather than being perceived. There is a passivity in being is being perceived, which inevitably makes us susceptible to other people other people's actions, other people's thoughts, other people's ideas. If we reframe it in terms of a mental health strategy and being is perception, suddenly the individual is seeing themselves as part of a greater whole. They look at the world and they have to start asking themselves poignant questions. Why am I here right now? 
why am I in this position? What has actually led me to this position? Um, what is my purpose? What is my existence? And in the process of doing that, they can start to critique through conscious reflection their environment, the, the things that they absorb, what they listen to, what they hear, um, what, what they eat, what they actually consume to make them who they are. Um, if you're constantly on Facebook, you are not realizing that there is an echo chamber of news that you're absorbing. So once you've asked yourself that question, you might need to start to uh, quality or sure or sense check what you're consuming in terms of literature. What books are you reading? What individuals are you speaking to? If all of the individuals you're speaking to are doctors, you will have a specific perception of the world. I was speaking to a nurse who was stressing to me that, yeah, well, most of the deaths which are happening aren't from COVID. And I was trying to get her to understand, because you're in hospital, of course most of the deaths aren't from COVID. Like, it's, it's the power of the statement, and unless it's filtered through other perceptions, certain things might not be as severe for you. From her perspective, COVID wasn't as big a deal because of her, her landscape. Her landscape is bulimia, cancer, um, and all other conditions, um, stabbings in London, um, people who are having heart attacks. COVID is important, but it's not the biggest thing. So I, I firmly believe that if once we start to review our environment and, and, and what we're reading, the individuals we're around, the goals that we're setting, yeah. we are then I, able to see ourselves as active agents. I agree, but I also think this is also very, uh, it's quite a difficult concept. Again, difficult medicine to dish out. When you don't feel like you want to help yourself, when you are, and this is the point where why I feel like toughen up from a place of compassion is a difficult concept. I know we've discussed that already, but again, when you don't want to help yourself, when you are in this state of mind where you can't draw upon the fact that you are a being who is loved and who is actually not the main focus of the whole world, you know, like there are things that are beyond you. What can you do in that moment in time specifically? What are the macro the micro even techniques that you can draw upon within yourself. I think these points definitely work to helping people build and develop. And Afalabi, there was one point I wanted to say that I loved you talking about, which was your strategic imposition of adversity in your child. I loved that. And that it's extremely important that we are building these kind of these, these, I guess it is, these processes which turn into character traits and things that we can just pull upon. But they're very difficult to grasp in the moment. In the moment, what can we do? In the moment, what do you lot do? Like, Abby? So, um, there was a period, a couple of, I'm gonna be very, very graphic right now so i apologize in advance but sometimes it's it's um it's, it's important to share especially if there are any men listening so there was a period about five years ago where i felt a very strong pain in my groin it was very painful and i was playing a lot of football so i kind of disregarded it but it just persisted for a very long time um so i actually went to the doctor and had a um testicular exam to see what was going on. And they found a growth down there. Now, luckily for me, 
it was completely what's the good one is it benign that's the good one right completely yeah. benign not an issue etc etc um but i didn't i wouldn't have known that unless i had gone to check and the point that i'm making with that is there there should be no difference to the approach that we're taking with our own mental health which is if you notice something that is odd which is i'm not usually this down i'm not usually this defeatist i'm not usually this this hard on myself etc this is an abnormality and your brain can play tricks on you i think first and foremost is the knowledge that your brain can play tricks on you and if your brain is playing tricks on you or if you if your mind is responding in a way that is unusual to you then go to the experts i have no issue and i will say this to my dying day if you feel like your brain is playing tricks on you if you feel like you're unable to find your, get yourself out of a difficult space then my biggest piece of advice is go to experts it doesn't need to be the the ultimate decision but i would recommend at least if they can say well this is what you need to do as your next step it then gives you some useful advice about how you can overcome those challenges but on top of that i would highlight some other things which i would do in the interim when it comes to my mental health this podcast is is a useful example of what i do to increase my resilience after a difficult week i pick up the phone and i speak to my best friend often for a, an hour half an hour before we start the podcast and i just off offload i talk about some of the key challenges i've had in that week he provides me with encouragement and i'm given the strength that i need to go and tackle another week for example now as much as that might sound like a simple step it is incredibly vital to my week um i was very ill yesterday and one of the first thoughts about my illness was how am i how am i going to overcome this so that i can go call my friend tomorrow um and having those checkpoints in your week where you actually catch up with your friends is really important now i'd also highlight the fact that fortunately we don't have to do this by ourselves so if we're identifying differences in our friends as well we could be the catalyst the factor that helps them come out of a difficult place so i can pick up the phone and call a friend i haven't spoken to in a while or if there's somebody that i'm worried or concerned about i can reach out to them to see if they're okay and all they might need is a conversation to give them a boost so those are the types of things that i would recommend people consider when dealing with some of those challenges yes you can put routines in your diary to help you overcome some of those challenges but ultimately if you are noticing a significant pain or niggle in your mind i would go to an expert manas the core of what you said is observe and be very aware of your needs know what your needs are this sometimes goes against some of the concepts of we live to serve and actually thinking of others is super important in helping us ground ourselves and know that our struggles aren't the only struggles that are important but there's again i don't like to use the word balance because for me it's more of a harmony because balance implies 50/50 harmony implies using kind of it it just implies there are going to be times where something is 75% 25% split but harmonizing to see the average result over over a long period of time kind of gives you the balance and you may in this very moment in time need to focus on yourself yourself meaning that you cannot 
Man, I think we're losing you. But I want to I want to strengthen that point that Men has made about focusing on yourself because it's 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 an element that especially high performing people often neglect. Now, sometimes you almost have to trick people into focusing on themselves. And one of the things that I've said to people in the past, especially high performing people, is that in order for you to be of service, you need to be in a positive state of mind. You need to have good health. You can't have good health if, or you can't look after people if your health is restricted or impacted. You can't look after people if you are impaired. So often for those really high performing people who never consider themselves at all, the, the oh. best approach to, to transform the way they think is you will be better, you'll be of better service to others if you look after your own mind state. I remember you taught me a quote, and I don't know if it was for, who it was from, um, sleep like a champion. Mm. And it was, when it was mentioned to me, it came at a point where I wasn't sleeping at all. And it's not merely about sleeping for me, but about rest. You often speak about creativity coming from rest. And what is true is that we have to acknowledge that if we are going to pour out, I firmly believe that our, our purpose is firmly in line with other people and ourselves, other people. But if we are going to pour out, we have to pour out from abundance. The analogy isn't to pour out all of the liquid from your cup so that you are empty, but to ensure that the liquid from your cup is constantly being refilled as it's being poured out, that there is a conduit um, being created. And you are that conduit that you are acquiring more so that you can give out more. And that might be acquiring more knowledge so that you can have poignant, difficult, interesting conversations like this. Or it might simply be resources so that you can help others who were once in the situation that you were in without it crippling you. I think that is a fantastic point to end on. And uh, Menas has just uh, left us, but she'll be back in a second, um, which is about what we mean by resilience. Now, if we look at the example of a car, if, you, if you're planning on driving from London to Scotland um, to, tomorrow, you, your car is going to need to be resilient to take on that journey. Now, what does that resilience mean? That resilience means that the tank needs to be full. You need to have a full tank in order for you to get from London to Scotland. So for you, Afalabi, and I think I'm going to go around and we'll, we'll end there really, but I want to know what you do to fill your tank in a typical mm. week. So what fills your tank so that you're able to make that long journey? So tangible, tangible things which I do to ensure that, that my cup is always full so it can pour out into other people and it's being poured into is that I focus on what isn't going to naturally happen. And what isn't going to naturally happen for me is being poured into. What is going to naturally happen is me pouring out. So for me to pour into or for me to be poured into, I think about the things that I hear and I read. For me, that's, that's pivotal. In the stage of life that I'm in, there is a biblical scripture about faith comes by hearing. And the second part is hearing by the word of the Lord. Faith being what we believe impacts or impacts us through how we hear it. And I firmly believe that what we hear will dictate our, our mind state, our ability to execute. 
So I think about what I'm listening to. That might be listening to um, specific words of affirmation coming from the good book. It might be listening to, to worship. Um, it might be listening to a, a fantastic podcast. But I'm constantly trying to literally pour words, words which are symbols of thought into myself. If I'm going to pour out good thoughts into other people, I need to absorb good thoughts. So I'm thinking about what I'm listening to. Literally, if I have a moment where I'm shattered, I'm putting things into boxes. I still got the two kids running around. I'm exhausted and I need to go another round. My go-to immediately is, okay, there's something I can listen to. There's a sound I can listen to. And if I just listen to it for three minutes, it can help to just reconfigure my mind state to remind me that, this is possible. I just don't want to do it. That's what the reality is I just don't want to do it, but this is more than possible. Someone else who came with a fresh mind state could do this very easily. I need to refresh my mind. So first thing for me, listening. Listening to words of affirmation, largely for me from a spiritual standpoint, is key. Second, reading. Words, once again. We downplay the power of words when we really shouldn't, when in reality, words shift our mood. If you've ever been upset after a conversation with someone, it's the words that they used. <laughs> Reading something which can pour knowledge into you so you can pour knowledge into someone else. Crucial. Next thing, individuals. At what point will I be around the individuals who are going to pour into me and not just take from me? Um, I've, I've recently learned that we can only keep what we're willing to give away if that's true I need to really think about people who are giving me things because I'm constantly giving away so and that might be the fact that ironically I come home and my kids want me to carry them immediately and they, they welcome me like one gladiator coming from an ancient war they're, they're actually taking from me but what I didn't realize is that they, they're, they're boosting me up they're, they're, they're giving to me in that moment it might be the conversation just before the Expensive Lessons podcast. It might be a conversation late at night when we put the kids together. My wife and I are too tired to even watch something. We're just going to talk. So the individuals, which individuals am I around? Do I explicitly know who my mentors and coaches are in my field of study, in my industry? Am I spending time under them, listening to their problems? Not just listening to them pouring into me, but listening to the challenges that they have. And have I concretely set goals? Something which I want to do at the end of this day, at the end of this week, at the end of this year, something to ensure that I'm pursuing growth. Um, it was Tony Robinson that said that growth is happiness, progress is happiness, that we, we, we get happy when we feel like we're making progress. And I've, I've grown to believe that that's really true. For some people, they are happy because they're spending more time with their kids. Other people, they're happy because they're making more money. Other people, they're happy because they're going on more holidays. Or the Instagrammers, they're happy because they're able to take photos in a new location. Their happiness comes through progress. So what do you need to progress in to be happy? So setting those goals is what really works for me. So it's, 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 it's books, it's words, it's individuals, it's goals. All of that centered around spirituality. Love it. Love it, especially because for me, so opposite to everything that you said. <laughs> my um, tips, my final words, quiet, I need space. I need to stop pouring content into my brain. I need to stop doing other people's ideas and thoughts and feelings. 
really tap into that creative, innovative energy that I have that allows me to really feel positive. I used to think that was procrastination, that it was that space where I would prefer to do everything else versus the thing that I need to do. I've understood in my 30s now, finally, how to channel that and where to channel that. And sometimes it's not positive, so sometimes you may see me as I wake up three or four in the morning, it's where I'm most creative, I'm starting to understand that. Self-awareness. So I think we've all spoken about this, but really, 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 really tapping in to my needs and channel that and where to channel that. And so self-awareness. So because as a person who serves others, who, my love language is service. This often comes at a price. It often comes at the price of understanding. Connection, like you said, Afrabi, I think for me, connection and connecting to people who don't expect, who have no expectations of me, who don't request anything of me, who can actually sit with me in my discomfort. I need people to not expect me to be okay, to not expect me to be wanting better. And again, not always wanting to progress, being content in the space that I'm in now, not always looking to the next step. So for me, I think there's definitely elements of overall my life I need to channel into the intentionality that you speak about so often, but for me, the immediate coping mechanisms is taking away the judgment, taking away the judgment of myself. That doesn't mean letting myself go. That doesn't necessarily mean kind of um, just moving with the will of the world and just, just, you know, it just means being radical about caring for myself and not feeling guilty about it, which is very hard. That's my final words on that. Thank you, Menas. And um, although we kind of struggled a little bit with the audio there, I really am grateful for you sharing. And I, I hope that people can can take away from that what they need. Um, I think one of the key points that I want to end on is a point that I mentioned really early on in this episode, which is the importance of becoming an expert in any area that you feel is important to you. Your health is important to you. Your physical health is important to you. And therefore you need to become an expert into, uh, to, to an extent around how best to operate your body. And it's your body, which means it's not the same as the YouTuber that you're watching. And it's not the same as the doctors. It's your body, which means you need to be an expert as to how your body works. And that's exactly the same when it comes to your mental health. You need to be an expert on you and how your mind works. And I love the fact that Afalabi and Menaz's um, examples were so distinct and so different because ultimately when we're talking about developing resilience, how do you develop resilience? We can share some tools, um, but those tools are going to be very different for everybody who, who's listening. Um, I listened to a, an episode um, or, or podcast the other day with, with this, um, uh, th 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 this person who had mental health issues. And one of the questions, which I thought was really lovely, was um, what is your favorite thing in the entire world? And this person's answer was raspberries. <laughs> um, now, the reason why I share that is because you are so unique that the thing that makes you smile and the thing that makes you happy, the thing that gives you the ability to overcome challenges is going to be distinct to who you are. Um, so I'm not going to share mine.
because I'm not going to give you some tips that you're going to do um, in terms of trying to copy us um, and, and, and see if that works for you. I'm going to ask you if you're listening to this and you feel like this podcast is targeted towards you, really delve into that personal understanding, really delve into that self-awareness and understand what makes you tick, what makes you happy, what recharges you at the end of the week. And then ask yourself the question, is this good for me? Because there are some things that you can do which are not good for you. And that's an objective statement. Well, I'm saying that as an objective way, but you know, take from that what you, what you will. Um, we're going to stop there. But ultimately, I, I really am grateful for this opportunity to expand on a previous discussion. This is not the end of this discussion. You know, we could literally turn our podcast into focusing on this specific topic. Um, we try to cater towards people who are high performers, you know, running, you know, work, working at the, the highest level of their own capacity. And as part of that, mental health is going to be a key element of that. Um, as I've mentioned previously, good mental health allows you to be um, good at service. But it's not the only reason why you need to have good mental health. Good mental health is just as important as drinking water or brushing your teeth. So I want to say thank you to Afalabi and Menas uh, for a really eye-opening discussion with some unanswered questions and some you know, unresolved dispute, which I think is always healthy. Um, and yeah, I encourage others to, to join this podcast and share your opinion, share your disagreements um, and uh, receive a sympathetic air. Um, we really appreciate you and we really hope that the next week full of challenges and full of, of, of difficulties is one that you can overcome in high spirits. Have a fantastic week, everyone. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Bye.